Now entering Nerdist.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Writers talking writing can get pretty exciting. The talk can be enlightening. It's very rarely frightening. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Hi, and thanks for downloading this very special episode of the Nerdist Writers Panel. This is the second part of a two-part chat that I had with Adam Rogers, who is a Wired Magazine editor. Um, Ben Acker and I got to sit down with him in San Francisco, and we got to chat. The first part is available on the Wired Storyboard podcast, which is an awesome podcast, which you should be listening to anyway. You can get it on iTunes. You can also get it at uh, downloads.wired.com slash podcasts slash xml slash storyboard dot xml um and on that first half ben and i talk quite a bit about television and the state of television and our writing process and various rooms that we've been in uh, on this the second half we kind of turn the tables on adam and talk to him about magazine writing and editing and uh some of the correlations between that and the television um process so thanks for listening and we're back to our regular podcast next week the Wired Network. We had a TV show. <laughs> you did. We did. I was on it. I wrote it. <laughs> have a, some, I co-wrote it. We did have a TV show. You wrote and? it. And no, no, David Axelrod was it. And uh, <laughs> you know his podcast. You know who? You know who didn't watch that show? <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> That's not true. It did. There was one week. Uh, I think this is true. I, I tell this story as if it's true. So sure. That there was one week where we actually had better numbers than Battlestar Galactica that week. Awesome. That's hilarious. Oh, yeah, well, you were recording the same where they audience. were all sick. <laughs> That's right. They were all just sort of sitting around. <laughs> they all were in the robes box. It was sniffles. the boxing episode. Okay. <laughs> oh, they made it compelling. Though. Wait, remind me what the Wired show was. It was, it was called Wired Science, and it was it was, it was, was it on PBS. Yeah, yeah. It was with KCET in LA, and it was it was it had, it had we had some fun stuff. Chris Hardwick was on. Oh, Hardwick was on. Right, that's that, how I, I know Hardwick. That's why I've heard about it recently. Yeah, that's 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 how we met. Um, oh, that's funny. And, uh, you know, it was, it was fun. But, like, as you guys know, TV's hard. Sure. <laughs> uh, what was so hard about it? How was it? I mean, obviously, it was a million ways different from putting together a magazine or the website or whatever. But, uh, we, you know, what were some of the particular challenges? Well, there was some cultural stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, working with KCET and therefore PBS was – they're pretty different cultures. I mean, they're, they are um, – reasonably conservative because as soon as they step out of line, some congressperson says, we're going to defund PBS. Oh, sure. So they have to be really, they're on eggshells all the time. <laughs> they were, this is four years, more than that, four, three, four years ago now. Um, it, so, <coughs> so like they would do like Chris did a, a segment that I wrote, but he brought in Rain Wilson. <laughs> and so they were doing shtick. Sure. That I had to leave the set. I was laughing so hard. I didn't. <laughs> they, and it was they, – they, they, they could only hear me because I was laughing really loud. So I went to the booth and while I was there, the people from the network were there and they were like laughing and also going, well, we can't run that. There was like some drug humor wow. and some crude references and like, wait, well, we can't. That's not going <laughs> to – and I'm sitting there going, you don't cut funny? You're cutting funny? Are you kidding me with this? You don't – you can't – I'm looking at people in the room I'm like, are they – can you really – but everybody's laughing like what so there was some of that and yeah. and i don't you know i'm i'm trying really hard not to say this like they didn't understand how no they they knew you know they sure. just there was stuff they couldn't do and then also um you know we there wasn't a huge amount of money and there there was and there were a lot of people who were talking about how what we wanted the show to be there were a bunch of us journalists mm-hmm. who would watch a segment and be like well that's not that's not us we don't do it like that what that's uh, that's very interesting to me what did you guys come in thinking was you and then what, what was the difference between the things that you saw, which I'm sure were perfectly fine. Yeah. And part uh, of the reason that I was – part of the reason I ended up writing mm-hmm. again, with a writing credit on it was that they they wanted – they felt like they wanted somebody like, OK, the wired people don't think that we can write something that's wired. Let's have somebody from there who, who – So can. where did the writers who were on it – where did they come from? Uh, well, it was mostly um, – was mostly David Axelrod who, uh, has, who produced a lot of sort of Nova scale mm-hmm. science documentaries. Um, and he's very good and a super cool guy, and um, yeah. and and we got along really well. That was another reason I ended up writing is that he and I got along. But um, but it was stu- like I remember the one we, we did the we, when we did the pilot. Um, 
we actually for the with the script we had a table read and I was really excited. <laughs> you know, table read. I've never been to one. I was all psyched. And I, you know, it was, we talked about it lunch. Like I grew up in L.A., but not involved in, sure. in any Hollywood stuff. But I, but you're always tangentially if you're in L.A. Like I mean, I had friends who wanted right. to go do it, and so I knew some people. So every so often you like get to be on a soundstage. So, so for me, it was super exciting. Um, and uh, and when we were there, there was a line that I, in a in some intro copy that was like something about how you know the cha- the pace of change in technology can seem really frightening. Was was this line? Mm-hmm. And I said like, whoa, whoa, whoa! It's never frightening to us. Huh. Like we would never say that. We never say that the pace of change the pace of change in technology is exciting. You know, the pace of change in technology is what drives our magazine. Like we love that it changes fast. The faster, the better. It's going too slow. And everybody kind of went, oh, okay, well, we better, you know, we sort of, we better rewrite that part. And, and um, uh, so it was, you know, trying to get across that, like, no, 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 we, we're, we are super excited about this stuff. And we are also kind of super well-informed that there, there was another, there was a segment that, that I worked on that a few of us wrote where there was some, something about, like, you know, to, to, to understand how this works, the scientists use an electron microscope, which is something that does. And I said, like, you know, we make an assumption <laughs> sort of that our readers already know that there are these things called electron microscopes, <laughs> but we don't really. What we really try to do is slide the information about electron microscopes stiletto-like into a <laughs> sentence so that it doesn't seem like we're explaining what they are. But we're tr- so we'll say like, you know, in order to do this, the scientists use an XT17 electron microscope capable of much higher resolution than <laughs> the last version, because then that sort of implants in your brain like, oh right, an electron microscope is a thing that sees right. really small things that I already knew about. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And it, so it was, you know, it was stuff like I didn't do it beautifully. I knew that that was the stuff I was supposed mm-hmm. to be doing, but then I didn't know. How well, to and that's the stuff that's, that's like the wired brand. Yes, almost. exactly. It was, it was, it was all like, what's our tone? Mm-hmm. And also we, you know, we, especially in the, in the front of the book sections, which are, which I, I used to be an editor on the start section, which is sort of the more newsy stuff to the extent that a monthly can do that. And now I'm on play, which is the culture and entertainment, arts and entertainment sections. And, and the front of the book sections, unlike the feature well, um, which we try to have the have writers be very voicey and style, stylistic mm-hmm. in their own way. The, the front of the book sections are very much the voice of the magazine. Mm-hmm. It's the magazine talking, you know. And uh, and so we were trying to do that with the show too. That the show would have that same sure. same voice, but it was hard to. We didn't really know how to transmit it, and they didn't know how to receive it, or they thought they were. But also, I will say that it got better. Like the second half of the ten, mm-hmm. I thought was much better than the first half, and and it was the kind of thing that I thought. In the same way that Star Trek The Next Generation had a great third season, <laughs> I thought, you know, our third season's going to be great. And People then, will compare those for the ages. Right. What can I say? Go to my happy place, you know? <laughs> oh um, it was really fun. I mean, it was really, it was really fun to do. Well, it. That's good. Yeah. And I, did, I, I went out and did segments, so I got to travel nice. around and go places and, and be a reporter. But we had, like, the thing that started to really wear on me was... We didn't have – we only had one camera. The crews only have one camera. So I would do these interviews with these really interesting scientists and we would talk and really get into it. And then the interview would be over and they'd be like – the producer would say like, okay, we're going to move the camera and the lights. Do that again. Like, oh, wow. I can't do that again. <laughs> right. I don't know how to do that. Put a tear in your eye. Yeah, right. that's right. Exactly. Did I cross the line? They keep moving it. <laughs> um, uh, nice. And, and I just – you know, I was like, I don't, I don't know how. Can we, can we get a little camera? Can't you hold a little camera? Yeah. Little? Um, Technology and, being what it is. Well, and we Hold would. Your phone we, at me. Yeah, right. <laughs> and we would now. I mean, I think I think that part of that was it was enough years ago that there wasn't a little tiny red camera that mm-hmm. was shooting as you know better with more light sensitivity than anything that you know anything on film it didn't exist yet. What did the the scripts for this show look like? Oh yeah, it was interesting because I didn't really know what they were supposed to look like, <laughs> <laughs> but most of what I wrote actually I did a lot of like rewriting of narration and voiceover mm-hmm. and I wrote my own narration the stuff that I the segments I did I wrote my own narration mm-hmm. voiceover the producers did a lot like producers did all, the huge amount the vast amount the 90% of like the reporting and the setup and the, I was like oh I didn't know that's what producers did that's fascinating because <laughs> it looks like I'm the reporter but I'm in fact talent <laughs> you know which I guess there's a I remember Anthony Bourdain in a blog saying that when TV people use the word talent, what they mean is asshole. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm the guy who needs to remember to offer to carry the sticks because otherwise I'm a jerk right. wearing a sport the guy, coat and makeup. Yeah, the guy who's propped up in front of the yeah, camera. Exactly, right. It's like, I haven't done any of this I'm the beautiful face of this show. Exactly so. Yeah, <laughs> I got a haircut for this. <laughs> um, I'm the reason. But is it, it's... The hot female demographic. <laughs> hmm. But it's, I don't know, I... Oh, but, Sorry, yeah, you guys what the scripts looked like. And so what I ended up doing for a lot of the voiceover I was writing was like 
I remembered getting taught what radio scripts look like mm-hmm. once with two columns and with the what the natural sound was and the and the or maybe this was even TV news scripts maybe I think where where like one side would have the the visual mm-hmm. and the other side would have the dialogue and sound and so I kind of made one of those with tables and word you know and sort <laughs> sure. of try and was like this is that part you remember that part you showed me where this thing was happening well here's what the voiceover should be and then sometimes I was just writing voiceover like I'd watch it and kind of try to time it. Oh, so it was already shot so you could Yeah, they would do it like they it. would shoot it and do an edit, not even just a rough, but like kind of three steps uh-huh. like a middle edit and they would come to me and be like we can't figure out the, or like the voiceover's not working mm-hmm. yet or we only have rough voice but can you take a pass ah, gotcha. at the voiceover and I would do that. So it wasn't like I went away and did a script. It didn't right. feel as real as all that. It was sort of you know there was one where like the segment needed to be needed to have voiceover written and they were like over lunch, take your lunch back to David's office. You guys got to write the voiceover. Like, just go figure out how to write it. And I sort of sat there with him and we watched it. It was eight minutes long or whatever. I was like, well, I hear what you're saying. Maybe it should be this. I don't know. It, it, it was kind of ad hoc, which maybe is part of the thing, that, why it didn't um, feel like anybody wanted to watch it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, it seems like you guys were well on your way to to figuring out what this show was or figuring out the best way to work it. I mean... Is that is that method where I mean it must have been because it's a magazine style show, very collaborative. Was it similar to working here in these offices? Yeah, it w- it was. Uh, no, it was not <laughs> similar to working in the office. The, the because there was a lot of there would be determination like what stories they we were going to do as segments and which episode they were going to go in and there mm-hmm. was a board you know and which segment there was and who was producing each segment and the producer would go off and do the pre-reporting and come back and where we were going to go see and if it was in the budget and so, and many of the stories that the show did were based on features that had, or other stuff that had been in the magazine some of them weren't okay. um, and so we went back and forth like that the, the process here is uh, pretty traditional for a magazine in that for features putting aside the front of the book stuff the shorter stuff for features we have a meeting uh, once every couple of weeks basically and there's two different styles we have that meeting but they're essentially the main theme is assigning editors like me mm-hmm. bring in pitches from writers and i have and i will have worked with a writer on a pitch for some time leading up to that meeting where they'll send and that'll that conversation will be anything from like an email from somebody who i know or who i don't and say hey i've got an idea for a story can i run it by you i'll say please that's my whole job mm-hmm. like yeah and will it go the other way too will you seek out yes and sometimes i'll come up with something and i'll go to a writer and say, will you look into this and we can do a pitch? Sometimes I'll actually write the pitch with writer TK, which TK, you know, means just X, we don't know. Mm-hmm. And then if that gets, that gets a green light, I can go to a writer and say, I have an assignment for you. It'll work that way too. And we'll generate a one page here. It's sort of prescribed form. One page, it's about 600 words. And they look like, as the boss says, they're more like prototypes. They're, they're pretty f- well thought out. There's almost no questions in them. It's not like... Wow. You know, whatever happened to it's like here's what happened to, <laughs> and here's what the story about that's going to be, and we try to make them as narrative as possible. Um, we use end up using a lot of the language we've we have stolen a lot of language <coughs> culturally from what you guys do. Mm-hmm. We have stolen would, the language of acts yeah. and of beats and of, um, you know, we we, we uh, in scenes, mm-hmm. and narrative and character and protagonists and stuff like that because we didn't really know how else to talk about it. Sure, um, and then we have this meeting. We talk about it. The boss decides yes or no, and then. Goes back to the writer and say, "Year ago, here's how much money we're giving you. Go get it. Here's what we want." And sometime later, hopefully, they come back with four thousand fully realized words of, <laughs> of brilliant prose and, and uh, perceptive journalism. Do you then think that 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 first pitch, which is you know fairly <coughs> realized, yeah, do you think that's the ideal of what? Like when we're turning in an outline, whether it's for a pilot or whether it's for you know someone else's show, that that outline should be that fully realized. Do you think that's the ideal, or do you think it needs to be more collaborative from that point on? I think our strategy, I mean, <laughs> is make it feel collaborative while we fully realize. <laughs> like, yeah, that's a like good writer strategy, actually, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but if you were running a show. Which you will be next year. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, like, what would you rather see? Would you rather see someone coming in and saying, here's a fairly, you know, it's 90% there, realized uh, What story. kind of room am I running? <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's what I'm asking. 
Oh, man, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> All right, you think about it. I'll come back. <laughs> well, what about you? No, let's turn this table. Oh, it's going to be like that. What about you? Genius. <laughs> what do you want you from think your you're pretend so... staff? <laughs> In your imaginary know. show. It's, I, it's something. Oh, yeah, I don't know. I do know. <laughs> it's, no, because it's something that we've he... been. Yeah, I was just deflecting a little bit. Uh, <laughs> well, good, because I know too. <laughs> um, but, like, I like that collaborative process that even right now that we have working on the pitch with Fury. We're, we're taking out a, a show with David Fury in, uh, next month probably. From television. And um, even that is – it makes us break things and think of things in a different way. And like I would love to start from zero and build the thing with the group. Yeah. Although in a practical way, that probably doesn't make sense. Although a lot of shows yeah. do that. They just break off into rooms. I, yeah. I will say I lied a little bit mm-hmm. um, because that's one – form of meeting that we have where all of us like vote and we score on mm-hmm. we score each other's pitches and oh, then, really? then we put those numbers and averages up on the board with the standard deviation because that's the kind of people we are and <laughs> you know we use that as a frame to talk about the pitches in a meeting oh my God, that's great. we have another kind of meeting where we call an elevator pitch meeting mm-hmm. where they're a much smaller meeting and that, those are pitches that are supposed to be that are necessarily less fully formed right. more like you know people can sit around the table and go I've been thinking about this I think there's something to be done here mm-hmm. um, and I have I actually uh, I've pitched a story in that meeting that was a one-word pitch and gotten a green light on it. Wow. I haven't been able to execute the story yet. <laughs> what word? I can't tell you because it hasn't run yet. <laughs> what does it if rhyme I with? You, I can't, I, if I told you, you would, you would know the story. Like, that's, yeah, that's my intention with the oh, question. I I'll tell <laughs> yeah. you later. I can't tell you because it hasn't run yet. If I seriously, ordinarily, I would, I know, I teed it up and then I should just, I should just say, oh, okay, it wasn't what, plastics. Okay, that's my question. What wasn't it? It wasn't plastics. All right. But that's, um, I think that's really interesting and that's a valuable pitching method too across industries. Like, we, yeah, we are well like going and kill, to come up right? with a one minute pitch. My, I know my wife has had to learn to do that for her business is here's what my business is, here's what I can offer you in right. one minute. Like, it's a big sales technique too. Um, but, and you've worked at several magazines now. A couple and then and then some freelance stuff. Too, yeah. So, so but is, is one method more typical than the other, like having it fully formed or something a little more vague? I, I, I begin to suspect that editors-in-chief are, are like showrunners and then every every magazine, as, a, as, as Matt Bai, who writes for the Times Sunday Magazine now and who he and I grew up together at Newsweek, um, once said, I think very perceptively, Every magazine, for better or worse, is a reflection of its of the personality of its editor in chief. Hmm. That how, however, the editor in chief is as a person and runs their their business. Right, that's that shows up in the magazine. You can feel it in the magazine. I think that works well here, actually. Um, you know that that um, some editors are are very formal and very ordered and very precise, and and and, and in the amount of information they want before making a decision about an expenditure of money. On a story that at a magazine like this goes well beyond just what we're paying mm-hmm. the writer. You know, we're paying not only person hours here in terms of designers and editors and all that stuff, researchers, but also photographers and illustrators outside the magazine sure. who are also paid as freelancers. So a, a, a feature can be a, a real, you know, a, there's a lot of money gets dropped on these things. Mm-hmm. Um, if a writer is making upwards of $2 a word on a 4,000 word feature and, and the photographer is getting paid more than that even, like this is – it's not insignificant. It's hard to make a living that way as the writer. <laughs> but it's not insignificant as a company that does that six of those 12 times a year, sure. I guess. Um, All right. I came up with my answer. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Tabled. No, I want to know now. Well, same as him. No. All right. <laughs> You're right to defer to me. <laughs> um, no, I put that in quotes. <laughs> But I, but I, I, uh, I think um, some magazines um, are kind of famous for, example, for like green lighting everything. Really? Yeah, and then it comes in, and then <laughs> they decide because they have enough money and enough time and enough energy to be mm-hmm. like, I guess. You know, like, <laughs> that sounds neat. Yeah, it could be cool. <laughs> and then it comes in, and they're like, Whoa, <laughs> you know? Or it comes in and like, Wow, that was cool. And so. As a friend of mine here has said, some places like that often you get higher highs and lower lows. Mm-hmm. Sure, right? Um, we're you know we're a little bit more careful about mm-hmm. that. Um, and ideally, though, what that also means for us is we tend to be very just in time. Like we should, we're working on, and it's getting better now. Have a deeper pipeline. Like no, mm-hmm. we you know we we know what we're doing some months out, sometimes mm-hmm. for something. What, yeah, what is out. that pipeline right um, now? Uh, and how many stories are how many you know like inside stories 
do, do you guys do every month? Uh, it's about six. Okay. And I'll show you when we get out of here. I'll show you the board with all, our need- board because we have <laughs> one too that has um, – it's in the executive editor's office and it has – cards for each feature mm-hmm. and he's moving those cards around to, for a mix in a given issue mm-hmm. and I think his board goes out to to varying at varying levels of resolution his board goes out about a year hmm. and it's not uncommon for me to have a feature that I've been working that like the first the first time I had contact with the writer on it and when it actually when I have the magazine in my hand can be a year really it's about a three month lead time and it takes a while to get the pitch, and then it takes the writer to spin up, and then it takes us a while to find a place to put it. So it can really be a long time, which makes that the the, the amount of money that I was talking about earlier much less impressive. Because sure. you're like, well, you gotta, <laughs> if you're a writer, you're like, well, I need to be working on a lot of other stuff um, at the same time. And how many features will you be handling, you know, per issue or per year or whatever? However, you I try to measure it. I, I I do count. On my, <laughs> I try to I try to end a year with twelve features, having okay. edited twelve features, mm-hmm. um, which ends up being. Sometimes they're stacked up, so it'll be two in one issue and not spending the other. And then we also do kind of packages that are in the feature well, but are made of many smaller components. And I like running those; those are fun. Mm-hmm. So I try to, but basically, I try to end with twelve features a year. And then, okay. and I try to have one of those be one that I wrote. I don't always write one every year, but I think I've written four maybe, and I've been here eight years, so mm-hmm. that's how I. <laughs> it's not that two good. a year. Not even once every two. It's not so good. <laughs> Yeah. You nailed mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get my joke. Try to do more. There are going to be a lot of math questions. That's because I was being all defensive <laughs> about it forward. instead of just listening for the laugh. That's what happened there. I should have right, laughed, laughed right after. <laughs> Humans need these signals, Ben. <laughs> it's, it's, instead of just saying, that's all. <laughs> and? <laughs> and then, you know, and then the front of the book is fun, too. And we do, you know, those are shorter than 250 words. Mm-hmm. But and, and to me, I actually love those. I, I love that stuff because they're much more... That's the difference between, to me, I guess, the analogy is like writing an hour episode of something versus writing a joke. You know, <laughs> they're like they're very, they're these little crystals of yeah. of like fun, and they have to be super exciting and you know really poppy leads and and and. Uh, so and, how how do those get done from start to finish? Like, can, th- give me a, a specific if you can. Yeah. Uh, well, let's see. You can only I'm, think of what's coming out in two months. That's true. <laughs> the only stuff I can think about is stuff that won't be in the in the magazine yeah. until like May. Um, well, uh, but I, so we'll do a. Um, okay, uh, I, I can't actually think of a couple. Like we we in the in the play section, which is the arts and entertainment section, we we do kind of mini profiles or Q and A's with people in mm-hmm. the Hollywood industry. So like we did. Um, uh. uh no, I'll give you better. Do you want to IMDb someone? I can't. I'm not going to remember. I'll give you a more specific example. Okay. So the play section is also themed. Uh, every um, every month has a different theme that all mm-hmm. the stories have to be tangentially related to. So we had a theme of ghosts, and it was the same month that uh, – uh, I think it was ghosts. But it was the same month that the, that the, the remake or prequel of The Thing okay. came out. So one of our writers, when we told him we had this going on, this prequel was coming out, said – sent an email that was basically like, you have to let me write something about the thing. I love this movie. Like, this is my movie. I know awesome. everything about it. You have to let me write something about it. And now there's a prequel coming out and it's kind of strange because of this, this, and this. And so we said, you know, as a writer we all really like, we said, well, okay, how about you take 450 words, 500 words, like a little mini essay about just sort of what's significant and go talk to John Carpenter <laughs> and like have a little, like, tell us why this is important. Like what and, and how, why it's important, why the new one's important, what, where John Carpenter fits in all this, and what about his career? Because his career has been sort of weird, and like sometimes he makes something genius, other times you're like, what happened there? And <laughs> you know, they're all like the thing comes from this '50s, you know, right. Cold War paranoia science fiction movie, so you can bring some of that into it. And he wrote just this nice little gem um, of, of an essay that we asked for. Right. Mm-hmm. Similarly, like when when um, like, again, I won't remember the theme, but we did, when the when the last Harry Potter movie came out, um, we, I, I said, you know, we, we should do an obituary. <laughs> like this is the end of this franchise that's been so important like to the to the book industry to the sure. movie business to fantasy in general to, in our world like we should do an obituary and it was like well some we should get a name or we, who should we get to write it and so I called um, Lev Grossman who's a writer oh, at sure. time but he wrote, wrote the these magicians, two magicians right. and they have a series he's got a he's been working on a TV yeah. series they've got coming up too um, and so he's just a, a beautiful writer and he's a magazine writer already so there's like a level of hmm. training where he just if 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 I say to Lev as I did like Will you write 500 words? That's an obituary for the Harry Potter franchise and what its significance has meant to the world and to you. He was like, "Yep, <laughs> got it." And that is exactly what he wrote. Oh, that's and I great. didn't, you know, like I barely changed the word in it. It's like, thanks, love. <laughs> you know. 
So stuff like that. So sometimes there's high concepty stuff like we want to do a chart of how all the different terminators in time relate to <laughs> different time travel and that kind of stuff. We like that. I love those charts. Um, and sometimes it'll just be like, you know, new shell coming up. Is there a way to deal with it that we sure. can talk about in an interesting way? On the start section, it would just be like a lot of times with the with the start section, it'd be check out this awesome picture of a rocket. You know, like, <laughs> can we get an even more awesome picture of this rocket and just run it? And you're like, yeah, we can do that. let's do that. It's a great picture of a rocket. Um, <laughs> we did once uh, years ago. They uh, they they released NASA released the list of what foods they would send on a long duration spaceflight mission. Like mm-hmm. if we, it was like, we're planning, we're kind of still trying to plan a Mars mission or something. Anyway, here's what food we would send. Here's what they would have on board. So we went to four, I sent a writer to four uh, famous chefs and said, here's your ingredients. Come up with a dish. Hilarious. Space food. <laughs> and a few, and these, and these chefs were like, okay. And they would came That's and great. we just ran the recipes. I have, <laughs> I love like doing things in the magazine that you wouldn't, expect the magazine to do mm-hmm. so I, lo- I you know we'll have recipes or we'll have um you know pictures you wouldn't expect like mm-hmm. just funny jokes like stuff that um you just wouldn't think we would do I well i was gonna ask that question parodies you know, of other magazine pages i uh, love doing that oh that's great <laughs> how often how often does that argument come up of whether or not this is a wired story or whether or not this is a wired perspective? all the time yeah every issue Really? Is this our story? How do we do it to make it our story? Mm-hmm. So, and actually, that has shifted. I've been here eight, almost nine years, and and um, when I first got here, there was actually one of my colleagues, Chris Baker, is still sort of famous for as a newly minted a, a kind of junior editor when he just started writing a memo that justified Hollywood coverage at the magazine. Hmm. For its own sake, not as like, how are they doing the special effects right. for this movie? Because how many times can you? Read that, much less write it or edit it. Jesus, I get it. They used a computer. You know, I write. He's got little balls on him that the camera can see. Okay, there was pre-visualization and it's stop motion or something. Fine. You know, you can't do that all the time. So, and he and the memo, the the argument was like, no, in the culture that Wired serves, right, in a technically savvy, technologically sophisticated, science scientifically sophisticated culture, who are our readers. They watch a lot of TV and movies. Sure. They're interested in how those how media is delivered and in what media is delivered and who's making it and the creative process that somebody like a Steven Spielberg or a James Cameron or you know or a, you know Catherine Bigelow or whatever, like their process, their creative process is a is an interesting matter of business and an interesting mm-hmm. matter of innovation, and that's what we cover. Like that's the sort of stuff that was in Chris's memo. Mm-hmm. And you know, so and how we, long ago was this? Some years. Okay. Some years. But it did change how we cover Hollywood, sure. for example. Um, and uh, but you know, but we still have to ask the question. We'll, we'll get a story and like, well, there've been we've been in pitch meetings. Be like, well, you know, if that story was in Harper's this month, I would read it. But I don't think it's for us. Hmm. You know. And then the argument is like, wait, if you would read it, why would we not run it? Right. Are you our audience? You're our. We're yeah. we're us. We are them. <laughs> you know, we have met the readers, and they is us. Right. And and I actually started arguing. Um, a while ago that there was no beat that was not ours mm-hmm. that we can cover anything we covered in our specific way and in the in in that conversation i said look we could do a gardening package as a sure. wired story and everybody went no you couldn't i mean they didn't really but it's better for the story <laughs> i said and so what it ended up with was like i'll do it yeah i'll do a gardening package because here's what here's what the gardening package is the gardening package is how to have a sustainable compound when the zombies come <laughs> and people were like, right, okay, no, that's a good point. And then Chris, when he was, you know, Chris's thing was like, oh, this is personal terraforming. You know, it becomes a, th- <laughs> it becomes a way to think about it, right? And so that, and that's how we did it. It was like, okay, you have this much space. Here's how you can maximize the yield and minimize your carbon footprint, <laughs> dear wired reader. So it became a maker right. thing and a that's here's neat. what you need to fight zombies thing, which is always like the subtext of the magazine for, to me is almost always like, plus when the zombies come, you need to be ready. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea that the magazine is a secret preparation manual. <laughs> right. Well, oh, thank God we found the stash of oh, Now we'll be fine. What isn't, really? You're right. That's right. You're right. Harper's. 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 No, our mag- I mean, no, yours is the magazine. Oh. <laughs> Sesame Street, obviously. Sure. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sesame Street's a defensible neighborhood, I would think. <laughs> Absolutely. Walled off, walled sure, off like that. You have those garbage cans. <laughs> yeah, but you get one zombie snuffle off, I guess. You're I'm all sure going you're dead. dead. Oh, that's no good. Do you want to talk about that pitch that we had years ago? 
uh, we, our first almost. This is the, I've never heard Nate at the at the computer outside <laughs> laughing at anything in this podcast before. Snuffleupagus part. Nice. Our first pitch that Thank almost you, went was um, we we pitched we pitched uh, it was the pitch that everybody gets all the time is the puppets are alive and they act inappropriate. They totally they smoke, smoke and they totally uh, curse. Uh huh. Sure. And they had never gotten because before. The puppets are alive because they feed on human flesh. <laughs> oh, it was no. oh. like Buffy wasn't even off the air. Yes. And we were pitching Buffy meets Sesame Street. Yeah. To MTV. <laughs> to MTV. Um, 13 years ago. Bloppet Boulevard, blood puppets. <laughs> uh, and the, the whole arc of the first season was these puppets were uh, c- compiling enough sacrifices to summon the Snuffleupagus character <laughs> that would break them off of the street. Yeah. Which was like this invisible, because yeah. it's an imaginary friend, it was this invisible creature who would come through and just murder almost everyone. <laughs> we had season two, they go off on their own. But but yeah, no, and it was that, it was right before Crank Anchors and <laughs> yeah. Death to Smoochie and two or three one. other. Greg uh, the Bunny. Greg the Bunny. It yeah. was every puppet idea but ours. Oh, uh, totally. That angel episode. And the angel episode. Yes. <laughs> right. yes. Yeah. Uh, did, what was that? No, That's what you wanted? I, right. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, here for storytelling, man. I'll pitch whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that one you didn't buy. No, I wouldn't. I'm sorry. See, come I don't. On, you would watch everything. it because you would love those I characters. Would probably watch it. Yeah, because Street, come on. the important the important thing was the new guy who went to work on Bloppet Boulevard was in love with the girl who was part of the show, who he later found out was part of the cult. What What will happen? Don't look to the, the performers romance? in the eye. Don't stay here after five. <laughs> <laughs> don't visit Still craft a service. Good show. Um, you know, will they or won't they? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they will. It works on the personal level. Don't visit craft service. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't. Um, where? So you've been here for eight years. Yes. Where were you before here? Uh, I started at Newsweek. Mm-hmm. Well, I started as a fact checker for uh, the science writer named Sharon Begley, who's still my mentor and friend, and and uh, I'm editing her here now, which is nice. I get, <laughs> That's to, get to go back to That's Sharon. Amazing. Sharon, will you write something for me? Because she is, for my money, at least in the top 10 science writers in the English language. She's wow. brilliant. Um, so I was her fact checker, and then I started to do reporting, and then I, they started letting me do some writing. And at the time... And did you become, did you become a fact checker right out of school? Like you knew you I went, were... I went to grad school in okay. science writing. I knew I wanted to... Well, you know, I was in college, and I thought... I knew I wanted to be a writer. I thought I was going to be a scientist. Mm-hmm. I was a terrible scientist. <laughs> Wait... What makes it ter- like Dr. Frankenstein? No, no, no. He was a great scientist who did <laughs> yeah, right, bad right. things. He's morally terrible. He pulled it off. <laughs> I was the kind of scientist who broke glassware in lab um, and who didn't like understand the first few times. Uh, I just didn't I, – I didn't really uh, – I really liked it, mm-hmm. but I wasn't – I didn't have the focus and drive to be like, I'm going to study the hell out of that sure. one worm. I didn't have that. I had some questions about the uh, – treatment of animals in labs. Not mm-hmm. that I think that there shouldn't be animal research, but I didn't think I wanted to do it necessarily. Mm-hmm. I spent a summer in a lab working and I had, in addition to breaking a lot of the glassware and not really doing a lot of good science. Did you bring a monkey? <laughs> I dropped it on the ground. It wasn't shattered. even monkeys. It was sea urchins and surf clams. And even then I was like, oh, man, I have just killed a lot even of for those? clams and urchins. Yeah, even for those. It was like, well, they were yeah. alive, you know? And, oh, sure. and if you're studying, if you're a biologist and you're saying that, then that that's really a miracle. Yeah. You know, and the more you learn about it, you're like, this is amazing that this happens. Um, so I had some problems with that, and I wasn't very good at it, and I was a better writer. And um, and then it was like, you know, you can write about science. Mm-hmm. Um, there had been growing up, when I was growing up, there were newspapers, and those newspapers had science sections. Absolutely. So like the LA Times had a science section that I, 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 I don't exactly remember when it was, but I sort of remember having the realization like, wait – People write these. <laughs> There's a person who does this, and maybe I could be. Um, I didn't know anything about That's how to awesome. get into journalism. So after college, I went to graduate school. There. Wait, let me stop you right there for a sec, because I've never asked you this, but I always like to ask it on the panels. Yes. Uh, but Ben. Yes. When did you have that realization about television yeah, or movies? It. Do you remember when you became aware that this is a written product and that is something that you could do? Or are you aware of it yet? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Wait, I can do it? Movies too? <laughs> movies also. I, I have oh, you, you don't want to though. It takes forever. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't – I don't know. I think it was probably high school. I think it was mm-hmm. – it came out of writing 
you know, with my old writing partner. Oh, where you were writing sketches and plays yeah, and stuff. Like, I, it might have been like Kids in the Hall kind of thing mm-hmm. where it was like, wait, those guys that are acting in it also wrote this sketch. That's oh, great. Um, so probably around there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All I'm right. going to go with Kids in the Hall. For, for some That's reason, it always, seemed, it always seemed much more possible to me to be a journalist than to write fiction or to write for TV or movies. I don't know why that was for me, but it always seemed like, well, I'm never going to be able to And coming movies. from L.A. too, that's unusual. I know. I don't know what, I don't know what the hell is the matter with me. Because like, <laughs> it did seem unattainable. I, like I had the same thing. It, it seemed a stretch until you're sort of in the midst of it. But like I always thought I would write books. Yeah. That's something where I can sit in my room alone and do. I don't need to have books outside people giving books. me permission. Oh, they're really hard. It's impossible. We'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so so you realized but it's this like, writing there are science writers, do. and you can go to graduate. I was good at school, so I was like, "Oh, you can keep going to school." <laughs> nice. And at the time, there's more now, but at the time, there were really only two science journals and programs that you didn't have to be a scientist first hmm. to go to. Just one in New York, one in Boston. I got into both. I picked the one in Boston because I was scared to go to New York, um, and uh, <laughs> and I had a cousin in Boston, and so I went to BU and. Um, and that was good because it inculcated me into the culture mm-hmm. uh, of being a journalist. It got me my first summer internship, which I stayed at until Christmas, and they had to kick me out because um, <laughs> because it, it was a job, That's and I was great. doing journalism by changing yeah. the toner in the copy machine, and also occasionally writing stuff. And then, um, and then uh, I was like, well, I'm, I want to work in magazines. I guess I have to go to New York. And I mm-hmm. called around, and and you know, ended up. Newsweek had, a, had an opening. Mm-hmm. And, and so right out of – really, after six months after grad school, I, I went down to New York and hmm. started as a fact checker. Like in the big city, like got yeah. an apartment and rode the subway to you – know, <laughs> Getting this, paid nothing, right? Yeah. It, actually, you know, it wasn't bad. I, I mean it, it was nothing it, – it was nothing if you weren't 24 and had never had a job. Sure. But it, but at 24, never had any job. It was like, here's your salary, here's your benefits, here's your apartment, here's you know. It was like that's pretty great. Hell yeah, <laughs> hell I get paid yeah. per fact. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, and also like the, the crazy thing was Newsweek at the time. It's pretty different now, but at the time, um, Friday night was the super late night. Mm-hmm. So like my hours were, I didn't work Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday were 10 to 4, hmm. Wednesday and Thursday were 10 to 8, and Friday was 10 to right. until you're done. Wow. So we'd work these 14-hour days. And I love – so I didn't see a Friday. Like I didn't see Friday in New York in the 90s. I never saw a Friday. I <laughs> oh, loved it. was a great time. It was I wild. Loved. Yeah, they seemed like they were pretty great. Every time, like every so often I'd be out there like, Man, people have a really good time Friday nights. But I was having a great time. I loved it. And and it was the 90s and it was like – it was the 90s. I was a kid and I was covering science, technology, and medicine <laughs> for Newsweek. Yeah. That's the right time and the right area. It was it was great. And yeah. when you know I walked in there and I was like in 94, I was like, I think this internet might be something big. And all of the – all the all the editors who I now realize were basically my age now, right? Saw this twenty four year old kid, and they knew like, internet probably going to be something. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what that would. I don't know. It's on the computer. I have to get this done. Somebody over needs, here. Yeah, I like, can't think about the I internet I don't right know. now. Is there not any? God, I wish somebody would come in here. Get and me tell three me how to, internets on my desk. <laughs> get me an internet. And then you know, this twenty four year old kid walks right. in. And says, like, I'm the internet. I know a little. And they're like, give this kid a desk. I'm pretty really? sure that's what. I'm pretty sure that's what. <laughs> What's great. And, you know, now it's been a long time I'm doing this. And so Stephen Levy was a technology writer there, started there a little bit after – Newsweek started – came to Newsweek a little after I started. He's writing for us now. So it's, you know, like I've known Stephen for That's forever, cool. you know, and like you stay in a job for a long time and you start to know people. And I imagine this is sort of what happens with you guys with the with the writers panel and getting people to come and also with Thrilling Adventure Hour where you do – you're in the community. Mm-hmm. And then Absolutely. it starts to be a little bit self-sustaining. Absolutely. A little right. bit. I mean it's, it's always a – Right. It's always a hustle but yeah. – yeah, you're a part of something, and that's uh, and I do like that. Valuable. I love the, the the journalism in general, science writing community in particular. Is, oh, that's great. I think they're they're fun guys. So when did you get to start? When did you start getting opportunities to actually write stuff? Was it in that span of being a fact checker that yeah, started to come? Uh, a couple of things, I guess. A couple of things happened at Newsweek. One was um, as the dot com boom started to flourish. They started a page. The front of the book site. The front of the book section at Newsweek was called Periscope, mm-hmm. and it was edited by a guy who I worked with a few times there. And they started a page called Cyberscope. Do you remember the prefix cyber? Remember that? <laughs> Wasn't that great? That prefix. It's not everything. Uh, William Gibson we, invented it. <laughs> we still use it in the show. <laughs> we do, <laughs> but it's ironic. <laughs> right. 
Uh, we mean robo. Yeah, that's right. That's that's what we meant too. Um, so they started this page. It was like, well, who's going to write for the cybers? And it was like me and this other kid, you know, sure. me and Jennifer Tanaka, who's an editor at Chicago Magazine now. And she's great. And we had a, just a hell of a good time. It was like, what are we going to do this week? Was it really that kind of grab bag like you guys could? Yeah. And they expected us to know everything and we didn't <laughs> know anything. So it was wow. like, well, I'm going to need subscriptions to all these other magazines. And they were like, okay, here they are on your desk. Well, yeah, that was that was going to be my question because the internet wasn't this right. huge thing at the time. You couldn't go online and yeah. see what people are talking about. Or so what it was reading articles. tons of trade magazines and, yeah. and actually trying to be a reporter and like meeting mm-hmm. people and trying to find out stuff was going on. And it was anything – it was uh, it, it was weird because they really almost all the time was like, what are you interested in? What, what was cool to me and I could put it in the page. And then it was like, okay, do it in 100 words. <laughs> So it was really good training. I was going to say, that must have been an amazing learning experience. Yeah, just like do it funny, do it fast, Mm -hmm. do it engagingly, like make it mean something um, and explain it to somebody who doesn't have a computer, Hmm. you know, or just bought a computer. Right. Right. This, yeah, this <laughs> is for the Newsweek reader. This is for any, right. anyone who picks this up should be able to understand this. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so, uh, and, we, and then at the same time, I was do, doing reporting for Sharon. Hmm. So Sharon Begley would, get, would have her big science story that week. And she would say, well, can you call these guys and file to me? Mm-hmm. And which is was standard operating procedure for a news magazine. Okay. And uh, so I learned how to figure out who to call because she would say, here's who to call. And, oh, interesting. You know, um, so it was uh, it was tremendous training. And the people who, you know, I was in this cubicle and the people who were in the offices behind me were just these superhero journalists. They were just amazing. And, and, and a couple of them I've had right here, you know, but That's it was – um, they were people who – and they would – because it was a weekly, it was pretty leisurely at the beginning part of the week. And hmm. you'd go and you'd sit in somebody's office and like Ken Woodward, who was the religion correspondent, you know, and like – Ken would close his door because he was smoking a pipe all the time. He wasn't really supposed to. He'd open the little window and he'd sit there and you'd just get like an hour on the history of the Jesuits. Oh, my God. Like the most entertaining body, like inside baseball hour. I'm like, (laughs) and then these guys. And everybody had that kind of specialty and you could do that. So it was it was that's fascinating. It was really great. Has that you know, you've you've now worked for a few different magazines. Has that atmosphere changed? The business has changed so much. Uh, yeah. But we walk through here, like you guys have a bullpen. Mm-hmm. You have exactly what we used to imagine at Mad Magazine or Marvel Comics yes. or what a lot of production companies look like where it's an open space and everyone – like we heard two people talking about ideas out here when we walked in, uh-huh. which was amazing. And I assume you set them up and made them do that. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, they don't even actually work here. <laughs> no. There's not a big acting community <laughs> in San Francisco, but it's, it's <laughs> not significant. So, that, yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> but, but has that changed where you can – you know, are there even old timers left? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm sort of one. I mean, I'm in the middle. I, I, I'm like, I'm the last generation that started in print, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe. Um, well, it makes sense. Maybe yeah. One, maybe one down from me. Maybe mm-hmm. the sort of people who are 35 now are the mm-hmm. people. Who, but, um, uh, but yes, and also, you know, the places like the medium, the specific medium doesn't preclude or force anybody who's working in it to have time to talk about ideas. Obviously, mm-hmm. right. Um, we do like that here, and I think it, I think magazine culture, as it still exists, and sort of any magazine in New York or the half dozen magazines that are based here, have kind of a place where people come and they will sit down, and you'll be working on whatever you're supposed to be working on, and then you can still spin your chair around and say right. to a colleague, like, "Did you see this thing? Have you? Did you see this online? Like, I just saw this link on Twitter. Did you see this?" And the, mm-hmm. and there are enough. We have different specialties. A lot of us know about a lot of different stuff, um, and so somebody will be able to say like, you know, actually it's interesting because mm-hmm. this thing, or have you read these guys and we'll trade books and we'll trade links. And, and, and sometimes that stuff turns into a story and sometimes it's just really fun. Um, it's a <laughs> sure. smart room. And I think a lot of, you know, magazines are smart rooms. Mm-hmm. A lot of blog networks are smart rooms. I imagine that, you know, the, the Gawker offices are pretty smart, mm. uh, <laughs> pretty funny, you know, whatever, you know, um, those are those tend to be blogs I like. I know some people don't, but I but I think those folks are pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know like a lot of the people who work at Gizmodo, mm-hmm. the tech blog out of them, are sure. people who came out of Wired. So we know a lot of them. Some of them trained here. Some of them helped train us. Uh, and you know they're smart folks who are talking about ideas. And even when they're really cranking, paddling super fast to put fifty, you know, here's the cool new right. Transistor radio. Well, no, it's not transistor radio. But, you know, here's the transistor radio. You know, here's the cool. There's been a lot of advances. <laughs> That's right. Here, you know, here's the cool new pair of headphones. Like they're mm-hmm. doing that stuff day in and day out. But also, you, you read somebody like Matt Honan, who, in the middle of all that, 
will write maybe the most brilliant kind of elegiac new journalism about <laughs> CES. Uh, and it's just like, man, you're the voice of my generation. That's mm-hmm. wild. Um, so those and those are the kind of people who are, I think, still in the business. Oh, that's great. That's, that's good to hear. I mean, it, it seems to me as a complete outsider to journalism that from a business perspective, you really could cut everybody out. Mm. You know, you could have a dozen or half a dozen editors running the thing and freelance everything else. Um, it seems like there would be so much missing, though, um, if that were to happen. Yeah. So here's – I mean – what do you miss? We could play this thought experiment out. What do you What do you miss? What you miss, first of all, in a big newsroom, you miss diversity of ideas. You miss diversity, mm-hmm. so you miss diversity of ideas. Like a newsroom should, by definition, a newsroom should have as many different kinds of people in it as possible. So as many people and of as many different types, whatever your version of type is, because all of them bring different things to the table. In the same way you guys were talking about uh, populating a writer's room, mm-hmm. you want people to come in with different kinds of experiences and backgrounds because that way you have um, a different, different set of ideas informing your content. And that's really important. Even in a place like Wired where we're not doing daily news, you know, we're doing monthly conceptual stuff. But still, you want it to be all different kinds. And then also maybe what you lose is uh, a certain kind of quality. So you lose polish because mm-hmm. you don't have the person power or the time. Um, and I think that we and a lot of national glossy monthly magazines like us are very polished products. Um, sure. Like you don't absolutely, you know, unless something has gone wrong in our copy flow process. When you look at Wired, whether you are interested in the subject matter, whether you like the magazine, you never see a sentence that makes you go, "What?" <laughs> yeah, just you never see a sentence that makes you like that doesn't. That's broken. <laughs> like, you know, um, and maybe I think about it that way because you know we're we are word guys. We are guys who push mm-hmm. words around for a living, and so that's important to me to see that. But and you do, but see even magazine. on on every level of the magazine, it's you never say. That doesn't work. I mean, it's it's a Ideally. polished product, and from a design and from a, a grammatical point, you know, right. top to bottom. Top to bottom. It, it, it's and a w- what you should be able to do is go. I don't agree with that at all. Mm-hmm. That's just wrong. That story, the assertion in this story, is incorrect for the following reasons. And then you're having, then you're engaged. Like that's the best mm-hmm. thing that can happen is that somebody can can do that because then we're having a we're having a conversation with our readers, and, and and that's really good. And still, kind of possible even with a monthly and a static product to be able to have a, a back and forth, especially now that there's this information ecosystem that exists independently of any publication on Facebook and on Twitter mm-hmm. and, and, and blogs and other blog networks and, you know, where you can have a – we're in a world where Wired can run a story and somebody really smart on the Scientific American blog network can write a response <laughs> about why it's wrong and then people can comment under that blog and then people can tweet to link to it. Mm-hmm. And we feel not only confident in doing it but feel like we should, like on the Wired Tumblr, we'll – link to that like you, you know that ecosystem is a really um is a really exciting one because mm-hmm. it used to be very static that interaction and now and now it's not i i mean <laughs> that is not to say that when somebody writes a letter about an article that i either wrote or edited and says like how could you be so stupid i'm still not like <laughs> legitimate <laughs> feedback remind absolutely. me not to read comments <laughs> thanks next for time. engaging yeah <laughs> this person's thanks. part of the community no why are you stupid man you know like <laughs> ask yourself <laughs> and then i'll tell you how you're stupid <laughs> yeah that's you know that's an unfortunate byproduct of having uh, these kinds of communities yeah. and having your your product out there but i mean yeah, it's the same for you guys right i mean there's the people the, love us the, but, but i mean no but i mean that active engagement I mean, that's yeah. what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And the active engagement can be both things. Can exactly. Be like what the, and I'd rather have people engaged <coughs> than not, you know, and no matter like, what the response Like is. the people who love, who like on Supernatural, the people who love the show the most as an aggregate mm-hmm. are the ones who are going to be the most vehement oh, and course. visceral about a given episode. Save <laughs> right? Castillo. Of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah, that's an exciting thing that we're having actually now with the, the podcast. And the right, because things. you're starting to get uh, that kind of fan base with Thrilling Adventure Hour. Yeah. Yeah, and the coolest is these illustrators are just inspired by the things like that we're putting out in the world and creating art around it. That's yeah. cool. Amazing. It's really neat. Yeah. That's it's, cool. It's been an interesting conversation from so many different standpoints. You know, the most basic being, hey, I like what you're doing, someone sending us a tweet about it, to these guys who are creating posters and things hmm. like I that. I feel like we arrived when a guy on YouTube covered one of the songs on ukulele. That's right. Oh, like, yeah, that's rival. Now we're, yep, we're on the internet, everybody. <laughs> yeah, but it's it, it, it's absolutely exciting, and it's, it's nice to know your stuff doesn't exist in a bubble. <laughs> 
especially I think as that's a writer thing, especially in in a way like when I'm in editor (coughs) mode, I kind of know it's not in a bubble. I know that I'm, I'm packaging a product, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm packaging a thing that people are going to read. But as a writer, you, you know, when you're doing it in front of your computer, you just, you can't see that. Absolutely. The, 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 that final outlet. Like, what's going to happen? I mean, it. this is a thing we always bring up when people either ask why we started doing the show or just general writing advice is to put something out there. Because if it just lives on your computer, there's there's it very little valuable count. in that. It doesn't count. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's great that you wrote something. I'm glad you got through something. Mm-hmm. But if it's not out there, you're never going to know where it lives. When I kicked in, the, the last thing that I wrote here was this feature about this fungus that grows on whiskey that I got a lot of really mm-hmm. nice feedback about and it was really fun to write. Um, when I kicked it in to Mark Robinson mm-hmm. so that he could edit it, I remembered very clearly thinking to myself, all right, I'm half done. <laughs> like it was, I was trying really hard to sure. remember that like now, now it's in the machine, like now it's in the process because that's how you get it out there. Mm-hmm. Like that's who I have to get. It. Like we are now going to all together make this into a thing that people will read. That's a great way to think about it and which is so easily applied to what we do too. It's you know, we can get this pilot as good as we can get it and as good as we want it to be, but that's the startup of the process. Mm-hmm. That's but very interesting. Especially when as an editor I have a feeling I'm very much the equivalent of a network suit in a lot of ways. Like I'm the sure. guy giving notes. But you know. like I've said it before, network suits get a lot of flack. There's a lot of mm-hmm. stereotype about them, but we've worked with some really great ones yeah. that make us better. Like they find what's right in it and mm-hmm. and bring that out of us. Like it's it's yeah, a thing. The good ones are invaluable. Yeah. It's and and creative partners. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And we've worked with more good ones than bad ones. I Absolutely. mean I'm hard pressed to think of a bad one that we've worked with. Like, I'm not gonna talk about <laughs> and they if they're not as hard pressed. <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah. When they when they get us, they get us, and they can bring out the the good stuff in it. Absolutely, uh, which I would imagine is a big part of the editing job. Yes, you know? I think a lot of people think of it as fixing the grammar. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but I mean, it, what is involved when you're handed a story? Well, we have. I, it depends on my mood and on at <laughs> my most down about it, especially because I'm like a middle manager editor, right? Mm-hmm. Like I have my editors, I'm responsible too. Sure. So I'm like. I'm, inter- I'm, I'm the interface between the writer and the magazine. So I'm responsible to dealing with the writer, making their stuff better, and also convincing them that we need to do the things we need to do to it, and dealing with my bosses saying, like, this is, how did, were you going to edit this before you showed this to me? Or, you know, so, like, at, at its worst, I think about um, when Ulysses Grant was asked what his job was, and he said, I am a verb. You know, like, I'm the guy who does the actions. And right. I think at, at its worst, I am an adverb. <laughs> I'm just I'm just modifying. You know, just, I'm doing, just modifying. And at, at its best, what I'm doing is a story comes in, and you know it's four thousand words of like, it's really like there's great scenes and it's really well reported and the writer clearly has command of the material, and but like structurally, I'm looking at going like, you know, this kind of doesn't start in the right place. Like this sort of wants to start a little bit later, and like this part of the logic. That doesn't have. That's not true. Like this could be this or this. You need to, re, like, let's crisp this up. Like, what are you saying here? This doesn't make sense. Or like, you know, this scene. Like, I feel like this scene should be much more this way and not like we want to feel this about it. There was a story. I work with a writer named Ben Painter, who I just I love, um, and uh, he's a uh, <laughs> he lives in the Midwest and he. Um, when he goes, when he does stories where he goes to see something and meet people, he's just wonderfully evocative descriptions of, of, of people and of, of, of worlds and places. Just He's really good at setting scene. He did a story on, uh, on a phenomenon called scenario paintball. You, you guys know what this is? No. Scenario paintball is like, you know, paintball where you go and you shoot each other. But this is like these companies set up these elaborate simulations of like cities and they tell you what team you're on and like you're the defending army and like you guys are in the oh, invaders wow. and you're the Vikings or whatever and you're allowed they build like tanks that fire paintballs too and there's like paint pink grenades and stuff so these really and, and you go and you do it for three days you know and like it's just nuts so we're like oh we gotta go do the thing so Ben went and did it and he's got so he's like embedded with so I said like this is a war story Ben I said this is what I want this is a war story I want you to write it totally Amazing. straight it's a war story you are gonna embed with a unit <laughs> And go, and then we'll break away the, the sort of the B plot, or we'll cut to right. exposition of how this all works and who does it. Right. But the A story is you with this. It's gonna. I want. I like Ben. I want Black Hawk down. Like, <laughs> I want paintball Black Hawk down. 
And so he uh, he's like, great, fine. And he embeds. He finds the unit to be with. And they're like these guys who are totally into it. And they dress up. And they've got oh their special God. colors. And they all have, they have like the custom paintballs. So you always know that it's them. You know? <laughs> so, so, he, so he's with the Howling Commandos or whatever. And, um, and the last scene is like they've got to get they've got to get across this one street and it's just it's full of snipers and there's and they're there and the guy there's one guy and they don't have a lot of ammunition left and there's just four of them left and it's like we got to get out there we got to do it and the guy and there's one less guy and he's like fine I'll go you know and he and like and when Ben wrote it it's like and he goes out the street and he gets killed like he gets nailed he gets lit up right and I was like, "No, Ben, man, this is the la- this is the last scene of Saving Private Ryan. Like, this is, you got to send him out there and like, I want to hear like, I want the the, the drum to start. I want the John Williams score to come up. I want to be like, he knows he's gonna die and he's gonna go anyway because he's got to save his friend. Like, I want all of it. Like, put everything into it. Turn it up. And so Ben turned it up and I got in and I turned it up. Like, we just God. cranked it all the way up and turned it into as much of a war movie in because." That was hilarious because you always knew. And we wrote it as straight emotional Absolutely. set, like no archness in it because it was just paintball, man. And it really, you know, so like that's the kind of thing. That's the stuff that I love where I can look at, where I get to do that with the writer and mm-hmm. say, you know what we got to do here? You know what's going to be awesome here? And the writer's like, oh, it's going to be totally awesome. We got to do that. That's when it's really, when it's really fun. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I, I have a story coming up that I'm supposed to be working on right now. In fact, they're probably going <laughs> to um, Joan Allaire, who's written for the New Yorker and he's been on Radio Lab a lot. He's a brilliant neuroscience writer. He's written some books and he's, a tremendous writer and a tremendous thinker. And so the story that we're working on, when it came in, like, it was great. And all it needed, if it needed anything, all, all I, what I did was sort of, let's talk about the thinking here. Like, what do we, how do we say this better? What do we really mean here? Is this, you know, I want this to be, like, can you go back and find more of this? I'd find more of this. This is this stuff, not this stuff. Just go, constantly going back and, and um, using finer and finer grit sandpaper, hmm. you know, sure. on this thing um, with, with Jonah, you know, wanting to, why do you do it too? Because with him, he's like, and you're really putting me through the ringer on this, but I really think it's getting better. And me saying like, John, I'm great. really sorry. Like I wouldn't do this. I'm doing this because you, you turn in something comes in an A minus. It's going to be an A plus, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to, you be know, some, that potential is there. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's, and it's like you say, finer and finer. And a story that honestly could have probably run, I think mm-hmm. in a different, a different place. You could have said, bring it. Sure. I think. Sure. Um, and I think now it's genuinely just a great story. That's right. That's great. Uh, very briefly, let's talk about the book. <laughs> Why is it killing you? <laughs> because I've never done it before. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, How is it a different animal? Well, so the the book is the science of booze, mm-hmm. and what I'm trying to do is a from like from yeast to sugar to fermentation, distillation, aging, flavor and taste, brain hangovers. <laughs> you know, and. Sounds like your your structure is in place. Yes. Yeah, so, so, well, and in fact, coming up with the structure was what enabled me to write the proposal for that. Oh, that's great. Like that's how I knew I had it. When I finally figured out what the structure was going to be, I said, "I got it now." Hmm. Which I think is similar to what you guys were talking about. Like you come up with the outline first. Absolutely. The writing, the, the last thing is just the writing. Yeah. But um, it's just I haven't figured out a way to organize my reporting and thinking yet. I have I have reporting to do. I have trips I have to take. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's longer than I've written anything, and I need to figure out ways to break it down into smaller elements. Mm-hmm. I need I need a better workflow process. I need to teach myself some different working habits rather than coming home and like taking care of the kids and then having a beer. I need to come home and take care of the kids and then go back to work. Mm-hmm. I haven't figured out how to do that yet. Right about having a beer. Right about having a beer <laughs> <Yeah>. instead. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so. Um, so you haven't sort of systemized that right. for yourself, and once. But do you think once you do, you'll be? Are you a person who can work in that kind of routine? It's getting there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. It's, I mean, well, also, uh, it doesn't matter. I have to. Mm-hmm. I took their money. There you know? go. Um, That's a good reason. I. I um, yeah, that, I think Hardwick when he was on here, ta- he talking about writing the Nerdist way. Mm-hmm. He brought that up. You know, the, it's a great impetus. Yeah, yeah. For doing it, and he again had to systemize in that way. And if you set yourself mm-hmm. one hour or two hundred. 2,000 words, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I find myself, maybe because I'm naive, I find myself less worried about the writing mm-hmm. than about organizing the reporting and doing mm-hmm. the reporting. Um, I know how to sit down and write. Uh, sure. I mean, this is longer, but I, I know how to, I know that, I know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. I know what that is. This other stuff, I don't really know what it is yet. But that's interesting considering, I mean, a lot of your job is organizing other people. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Heal thyself. Yeah, no, I mean, then uh, that's been very helpful. I wouldn't have been able to mm-hmm. figure out how to do this without having done that for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my friends, a lot of my friends wrote books a long time ago, and they were able to they were able to sort that out. And I, 
I, I never was able to sort it out. I, I, um, uh, when I was writing the proposal, I had, you know, that the imp on my shoulder saying, you'll never be able to do this. Hmm. This will never work. You don't have an idea. This isn't working. How are you, what do you think? You know, had you had that and, as a journalist? Not really. That's interesting. No. And, but I was able writing the proposal to say, you might be right, but we're doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and as soon as somebody bought the book, the imp returned saying, <laughs> now what smart guy? You know? And I kind of went, Oh my God, you're right. <laughs> like it was like, I've been able to, I've been able to shut the dude up hmm. um, for some months while I was working on the proposal. And then uh, when it, actually was a real thing yeah. got a lot harder so but it, it's i mean i'm it's starting to happen now like oh, i'm starting good. to figure it out um and and uh my friends who have written books when i've talked to them about this all said like you know that paralyzing snap awake at four in the morning fear that you had when you signed the contract it's like <laughs> yes yes i do they're like that's normal <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> we all good. had that too that's nice to hear um which was yeah very and that the the cool thing about this has been the degree of support that my fellow journalists who've written books have been have had with me up through even in the proposal process of like do you want me to introduce you to my agent do you want to see my book proposal so you can look at it do you do you want me to read it do you you know on the book like do you want to talk about how this is going like just super nice in a way that like god i have been such a jerk to you (laughs) being super i gotta really clean my act up because (laughs) well now you know you have to yes well now i'm like oh (laughs) and then the impaling you can't you'll never clean your act up being a jerk is more fun you're gonna be a jerk dude you're gonna just be a jerk um did you did you go and look at other books in this genre or even other books for Mm -hmm. inspiration you have to you have to look at other books in the field because part of the proposal is prior art Oh, that's right. Yeah, so, Chris talked about that too. Yeah, that's right. So, um, and and in a, in a way, similar to I think what Chris did, where what you have to do is say, there's some other books here, but they're nothing like this. Right. Like you sort of have to. It's <laughs> like, but that they haven't done. And it turned out that was actually I could do that. In, in beer and wine, there's been some science. There, mm-hmm. There's a lot of science, like hardcore science for scientists, and there's industrial science. But in terms of popular books, there's been some some stuff in beer and wine, um, and almost nothing in. Um, Distilled spirits, mm-hmm. so it was. I could actually say with comments like, "Nobody's done this. Hmm. Nobody's That's tried fine. to do this, and nobody's done it the way I have done it." And plus, nobody can do it the way I can do it because, because I'm a science journalist and I also know about booze, right? And I've been an editor at Wired for a long time, and I've written at Wired. And here's the thing I wrote, and you, you can sort of say, "I'm the right guy." Yeah, that you're was prime proposal. For it. It's a sales, you know, it's a pitch. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I was able, I was able to do that. And in terms of books that, this is sort of problematic for me, I think, because a lot of the the nonfiction that I like. Is the kind of nonfiction that nobody reads. Like, the, like what? Re- oh well, like <laughs> you know, instead of reading, and these people, these authors will be so glad to hear this. Well, I, so they're <laughs> academic, like they know. I mean, you, I think about stuff like you know, John Stilgo's book about lifeboats. You know, and it was like, oh, it's, it's fantastic. If only I could write like John Stilgo from Harvard writes about lifeboats. Oh, wait a minute. I mean, I think even that, Professor Stilgo would uh, know. Pixar movie. <laughs> <laughs> Lifeboat. Where they're out there, they like talk. Yeah. The eyes are in front, but the mouth is on. Right. <laughs> they always have a mouthful of water. That was a, <laughs> was a serious <laughs> downer of an early pitch for that movie. It was like, well, they see, keep drowning. All the Those people are drowning. I got them. What happened to what happened to Pete? Um, but there have been some some sort of popular books that have broken through. Oh, I mean, for some, sure. Some books of that type that have broken through, like the uh, Salt and totally, Todd and to- some of totally, these. totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean that those that kind of that genre of like mm-hmm. a deeper look inside a thing you are yeah. familiar with, right? Um, absolutely. And that that's you know that's a that's a model too. Mm-hmm. I, I guess um, you know I don't have I, it's not Moneyball, right? Like it's right. not going to be. Although I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> it's not a bad model. Uh, you know, it's still a very inside baseball, so to speak, look at this thing about which you're passionate. Yes. Well, that, that's for sure. And mm-hmm. I, and I think, I think I know how to bring that out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I am really excited about it. You know, I'm still as terrified as I am. I'm still really psyched. And every time I do reporting for that's it and good. I learn something new, I'm like, Oh, this is gonna be awesome. This is gonna be so great. It's gonna that's be so good. much fun. When, when I was thinking about it, I wrote an, I had another proposal for a book that didn't, was lousy. Didn't work. <laughs> and, uh, I was talking to Matt Bai, who I mentioned before, and Matt, um, who's written one book, he's working on another one. And Matt said, you know, um, no, your, your book's not going to sell. <laughs> no book sells. <laughs> Nobody knows why books sell. And when your agent or your editor or your publisher tell you to make changes um, to make the book sell, they don't know what they're talking about. So 
And I, I mean, I really like my editor, my agent, so it's been really great so far. But, but he said, what you want to make sure is that you're writing a book that you will be proud of when you see it on your shelf because nobody else bought it. <laughs> right? when, 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 nothing, when it did not sell, when only your parents bought mm-hmm. your book, you want to be able to look at it and go, well, maybe, but it's a good book. <laughs> and that really crystallized a lot sure. for me. That was like, oh, okay. I, I guess I see that. And because it enabled me to feel about the proposal when I was writing it. I'm talking about this um, as if the book is already written. You're not really supposed to say this kind of stuff until you have the book in your hand. So this, I'm <laughs> oh, sure you're killing myself. Yeah. Yeah, I, but, but the but, writing part, you're not worried about. <laughs> did I say that? <laughs> moron. All of a sudden, um, you're worried. <laughs> suddenly, I'm worried. Uh, but it, 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 that, like, that being able to think about it like that was like, well, I'm writing this proposal, and if nobody wants to buy it, fine. Because I like it, and mm-hmm. if they don't, if nobody wants it, then I'll try something else, and that's okay. But I'll know that at least I did the thing that I wanted to do, um, which I gotta think is a little bit sort of thrilling adventure hour thinking. It's like at least I did this thing. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. I mean, even even these pitches, like we, you have to care about them, or it's not worth the trouble. Yeah. You know, and I think so often people do respond to you know the love that you put in. Damn it! it. This people is the can story see I have it. to tell. Yeah. People people appreciate that, and people can see it. I hope, well, I hope it, you know, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Every day. I wish us all massive success yes. is what I'm really saying. <laughs> and as the imp. <laughs> and as the imp, you will never attain it. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. I think we're good. Yeah. Thanks. That was really fun. Now leaving Nerdist.com.